So uh, I'm, I'm assuming uh, a, a couple of things up front. Number one, which is that um, you folks understand that, um, uh, and, and this, is like, uh, this is just like common church stuff. Like when we talk about finances and we talk about stewardship, we're talking about resources, some of which is money. But there's a lot of resources that are not money. Right? There's a lot of resources that are not money. Um, that's an assumption I'm working off of here today. I'm going to be talking specifically today, though, about money. Uh, secondly is the idea um, that we all have together that what God wants and what God's wisdom is toward our finances is what's best. So that, that, that's another assumption. Uh, that's not necessarily as safe an assumption as the first one. Um, because uh, a lot of us have a real hard time trusting God with, with finances. Um, and that comes, again, like I just prayed, from a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different story and wounds that we have when it comes to money or, or having it or not having it. However, um, like I said, today, uh, uh, those assumptions are going to be in, in play. And as we talk about what it means for this body to be a body that's covenantally joined together and that together gives of resources all resources, but specifically, in this case, monetary resources, what does it mean for us to understand God's heart and mind in, in regard to being part of a local church and giving to that ministry and giving to the ministry that this local church um, executes and lives outside of itself and globally? What does it mean to bring the resources and the fullness of what God has given in, in regard to those things in a way that is life-giving and good for this body? That's what we're going after. Everybody got it? All right, good. God is not a capitalist. God is not a capitalist. Capitalism is based on competition. Who's going to compete with God for resources? Right? God strongly believes in the redistribution of wealth. God strongly believes in the redistribution of wealth. He does not believe in that through the principles of, go- of human government. He does not believe in that in- through the principles of human autonomy. He does strongly believe in that through the principles of covenant, through the principles of heart, and through the principles of generosity. These three principles, covenant, heart, and generosity form a basis for God's thinking about money and about what it means for his people to have it and to use it and to engage it together. All right? So if you're taking notes, three principles today. What's the first one? Covenant. Good. Second one? Heart. And the third one? Generosity. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I just always love saying that statement that God does believe in the redistribution of wealth because everybody's sort of like, so God's a communist? (laughs) God's not an ist anything. God's a himist, right? God's a, God's a, God's a, I'm the center. I'm the source point. I'm where everything that you have comes from. And to have me at the center and to have everything that I've given you anyway be distributed out and among my people. Just that, that's the way God works. That's God's economy. 
Right? So when we talk about these principles, we're talking about economic principles, but not human economic principles. It doesn't have much to do with financial principles or debt ratios or profit margins or you know, stock performance or any of those things. This has to do with who has given us everything and who does everything belong to and then what does it mean for us to be in line with him who gives us everything and who everything belongs to as we live out and use the things that he's given us. And he's not left us without wisdom. He's given us ways to think with him about these things. And those are the ways of, uh, of covenant. Say it all together. Covenant, heart, and generosity. All right. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Did everybody see what Paul just wrote? In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Now, if there, I don't know many things that are more anti-American economic policy than that. That out of deep poverty, an abundance of joy and wealth <laughs> has overflowed out of these hearts of people. That, 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 that is an amazing statement. God completely rewrites in our economic understanding of what it means for us to see money rightly with this, just this very, very verse, that out of poverty comes extreme wealth. That out of what we see as lack comes an abundance of something. This is, this is how God works. This is what he does, and it's a complete rewrite. Think back to Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus starts off Matthew 6, um, and he's about to go into three different things. He's gonna, he goes into financial giving, and he goes into prayer, and he's going to go into fasting. And in all three of these things, he, he rewrites the way that we're supposed to think about that stuff. So, like, in regard to prayer, he, he, he says, don't pray like you would pray. Don't pray like the Pharisees pray. Instead, pray like this. All right, so we don't pray naturally, but people think there's only dichotomies. So if I don't pray naturally, if I can't, if I myself don't know how to pray, then I have to pray just religiously, right? But Jesus says no. There's actually a third place. There's a third way. So don't pray like you would pray. Don't pray like the Pharisees pray. Instead, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, so on and so forth. Fasting. Don't, don't pray like you. Don't fast like you would fast. And don't fast like the Pharisees fast. Instead, fast like this. But the one he starts off with is finances. When you give, don't give like you would give. And don't give like the Pharisees give. So don't give according to natural human understanding and certainly don't give according to religious understanding. Instead, think about it like this. This is what Jesus does. He's continually looking for the third place. He's always looking for the third way where he's, he, Jesus refuses to be put into a box and into a mold where poverty has to mean lack and where wealth has to mean abundance. Instead, there is a place in God's economy where poverty can bring abundance and where wealth, wealth or, uh, can be found to bring nothing but poverty. And even though you have a lot, you actually have nothing. 
And in this one verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, man, I mean, he is just right now turning this thing on our head. So let's just let that concept, if your mind is flipping, let it flip. Verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. So they gave not just according to what they had, but they gave beyond what they had. I'm sure if you've been in the church for any period of time, you've heard the phrase sacrificial giving. That's the whole concept. It's the idea that I, that I, that I don't just give according to what I see in my checkbook, but that I give sacrificially beyond what I can see. I, that's a tough spot. Most of us, most of us think about giving with what remains. However, God calls us to give with what it is that he's given us. And he's given us everything, which means we give to God first. God's not a capitalist, remember? So pay yourself first goes right out the window. What comes in is give to the Lord. (laughs) Give back to God and watch what it is that he does as he takes poverty and makes it abundance as he takes what looks like a lack and makes it something incredible. God has covenanted with you to provide for you. And from his provision, we give. How do we give? We give according to how we've been given. How richly and lavishly has God given to you? That's the principle by which you then give in return. How much have you been given? How generously have you been given? That's God's covenant extended to you. And he's never going to break that covenant. He goes on in Matthew 6 to say, people worry about things they shouldn't worry about. They worry about what they're going to eat and what they're going to drink and what they're going to wear and where they're going to sleep. You don't need to worry about those things. Take a look around you. I mean, just look at the birds in the air. Look at the flowers in the field. Solomon didn't have it as good as these things have it. Do you think God's going to let you go? This is God's covenant toward you. This is his love toward you. God's got you. God's got you. Not only do we have covenant with the Lord, but we also have covenant with one another. Begging us earnestly for the favor, verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So the covenant that we have toward the Lord is then represented in the covenant that we have as we are connected toward one another. To be covenantal with the Lord is by definition to be covenantal with one another. You might not live in the honor of that covenant, but that doesn't mean that it's not there. We are an interdependent people. We need one another. It's how God has made it work. If the Lord led us to stop right now and pray for our brothers and sisters in in Zimbabwe, It is the covenant of God that empowers that prayer to actually affect their lives. Do you believe that? (laughs) Do do you believe that, that you're connected there, that the family of God is broader than what we think it to be? Verse 6, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. What act of grace? Giving. Giving. I say this, verse 8, not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. 
And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. Who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. Right? Get this. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. But that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. So that their abundance might supply your need. That there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. We are a covenantally connected people. And what Paul is saying here is, look, I'm not trying to oppress you in this. I'm trying to make you aware of the fact that there's something bigger that's going on than just you. That there are other lives and an interdependent network of covenantal relationships that exist between brothers and sisters in Christ so that when you give financially, that affects people in the covenant. How you choose to think about the relationships and what it is that the money that you give affects those relationships, that's the covenantal nature of what it means to be a giver. That's the covenantal understanding of, of, of why it's important to give financially because people are in need. And it's a two-way street, right? That's what Paul says. He's not trying to burden anyone here, verse 13. I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened. This is about understanding the fairness of the covenant. This is about the idea that this is a two-way street. As a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance at some point can supply your need. And that flows back and forth and in and out. And when we think about that and take that even out now outside of the realm of resource or outside of the realm of finances to just resources in general, think about what that looks like. And what does it mean to flow back and forth? What does it mean to engage? What does it mean for us to have an understanding of these things? And frankly, this is something I've seen Parker Ford Church do incredibly beautifully well. Like the, 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 uh, the, the depth of generosity that you have, not just financially, but like, for example, um, your ability to think covenantally with other Netzer churches that allows for an investment of human resources and of spiritual leadership resources in a way that releases leaders here to affect covenantal relationships outside of here. Paul's talking about that too. And without trying to overstate myself in the situation, I'm here today, right? And you're receiving from somewhere else. And there are resources that are flowing this direction. And there are resources that are flowing that direction. And here we are flowing in and out. And uh, what, what, DJ was here recently, right? Right? L- last week, right? And that, that, that's another flow across this network of covenantal relationships. Uh, Brandon Vining comes in here from time to time, right? Yeah, and there's prayer teams that have come here from all kinds of different places. People who have never heard of Parker Ford Church have come to this place and prayed for it. It's this covenantal flow. No one's coming here going, so what am I going to get on this? What's my return on investment in this situation? This is just the covenantal resourcing and giving nature of the people of God. It's just that we forget about it 
because we get trapped up in human economic principles instead of God's economic principles. God's overriding economic principle is that of covenant. Covenant. That we, because we are in covenant, the needs of one another are met by one another. And God lavishly gives us resources by which to meet those needs. First principle, the principle of covenant. Let's do better than that. The first principle is the principle of covenant. All right. Second principle. What was it? Heart. Very good. Take your Bibles and you can turn to Matthew chapter. uh, Yeah, let's go to Matthew 6. I remember, this was probably seven or eight years ago, uh, at Cornerstone, the church I previously pastored, we uh, um, were just sort of, it's, it's, a, it's a fun group. It's a fun group of individuals, and we're right in the middle of Lebanon, um, which is a really interesting city with all kinds of needs and um, all kinds of situations. And that morning, a homeless family, this is a Sunday morning, a homeless family came to our service to uh, ask for help. And they had just gotten into town out of nowhere. Um, I don't even remember where they were from. Anyway, this family came, and, uh, and, and they had um, just some real deep uh, needs, right? And so uh, God moved in the service that morning, and everybody was uh, um, excited to have these folks there. And we prayed for them, and, um, and people began to give. No, nobody said a thing. People just began to give money. People would walk up to me or to one of the other elders and, you know, put some cash in my hand or give a check and say, I want to give to this family, which is, which is beautiful. It was this movement. You know, it was, it was a really, really cool ministry time when we were able to see this need and engage it both spiritually and then as subsequently financially. And, um, and that was, it was really exciting, you know. And uh, to be able to come back, I think we got like like fifteen hundred bucks just came out of nowhere that day for this for for this family and helped them set them up. It was it was beautiful, and uh, that was really exciting. Um, and things like that happen from from time to time in in the flow of our body. And everybody in this like like here's a deep need. Let's meet this need. The Holy Spirit's moving. Let's make this happen. Um, all right, we're gonna do that. And and if it's if like if we can feel the Holy Spirit in it, if we can feel the power in it, that's great. That was during a season in our church when I think for like 17 weeks in a row, we ran 35% under budget when it came to giving. And I remember thinking, what is going on? Like here are these like prophetic spirit moments. And everybody's like, just, just, you know, throwing the cash around. And then it comes time to actually support the work of the church and paying our staff, and keeping our lights on, and in our ministry to our city, and it was 35% under budget for like 17 weeks in a row, and we're just, sort of, I'm just, I remember thinking, but we talked about this as the elders, like what, what's going on here? This is interesting. This is interesting. What we discerned in that was that our people's heart, our people's heart was drawn towards sensationalism, and we hadn't been teaching faithful presence very well. It was an elder issue when it came down to it. That we had been moving in the spirit and wanting to hear God and doing all these great things. God was moving and manifesting and that was awesome. And so like, where's the power? Where's the movement? Where's the sign? Where's the wonder? Let's give to that. 
Let's invest in that. But when it comes to actually like faithful, faithfully being present and engaging, budgeting, fiscal responsibility, uh, being a grown-up, <laughs> right? that was stuff that we hadn't been teaching or leading in very well. It was sort of like, huh, that's very interesting. Another thing that we hadn't been, what, 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 what I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. My, my, sometimes my head works faster than my mouth can talk. Um, another thing that we had realized we'd been doing was we'd been rooting our people's heart in, in the sensational as opposed to also rooting their heart. Not, not that that's bad. By sensational, hear me say like uh, uh, pie in the sky, but like sense-based. Here, see the sense, sensation, things you can actually like, this is happening right now and I can see it. And whereas, you know, paying the bills, you don't see that. Right, your pastors, uh, you know, being able to care for their families well. You don't see that. It's just sort of like assumed. Well, and if I don't give this week, I assume someone will. But folks, that is not a safe assumption. Would you ever run your home like that? I assume if I go to work this week, if I assume if I don't go to work this week, the bills will get paid. Anybody here do that? If so, you should talk to your treasurer. Here, he or she has some good thoughts they can help you out with. This is the principle of heart. This is the principle of heart. Verse 16. Remember, Jesus is talking about, uh, I'm sorry, on verse 19. Jesus is talking about the third place. And, and he wraps up talking about those three third places by diving into this idea of laying up your treasures in heaven. So do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where your thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's all say that together. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's interesting. And the order matters. Jesus does not say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Where your treasure is, there's your heart. The things that we give to are the things that we value. The things that we give to are the things that we value. It's a true statement. I mean, if you just go home and take a look at your bank statements, you'll be able to see your values. You'll be able to see where it is that, that, that your heart rests. And that's not like a legalistic thing at all. It's a, it's a principle of God's economy. It's one of those things, it's, it's like, this is just math. It's one plus one equals two. Where, where your treasure is, there, there's your heart. And, and a lot of us think, once I have the money, I'll give it. Right? Once I have the money, I'll give it. That's like hearing a young couple say, we're not ready to have kids yet. You will never be ready. Right? There, there is no amount of preparation that can get you to the point of being like, all right, I think we're ready to raise perfect children. Let's do it. No, that, that's just not there. It's just not there. And, and, and waiting to give until you have something to give, you will never give. And it pulls away from the principle of covenant. And it certainly pulls away from the principle of heart. Because if where your treasure is, is where your heart is. And if you're waiting to give until you have it, then where's your heart? It's with you. God will provide for you. Follow his heart. 
by investing and giving toward the things that he values. Because where your treasure is, there's your heart. And then if you give according to God's heart, then where is your heart? It's with his heart. Everybody got that? Right? If you seek God's heart and give toward the things that are God's heart, and if your treasure is where your heart is, and you're giving toward the things that are in God's heart, then that means that your heart is with God's heart. Which means, and this is the craziest thing, giving is actually a road to worship. And giving is a road to intimacy with Christ. And when you give, and when you give out of a, out of a place that looks to you like a lack, there is such an extreme connection with God there where it's sort of like, all right, Lord, like, here we go. <laughs> like, I, I am giving beyond what I think I actually can right now. So what's this going to look like and what's this going to be? This room is filled with people who could tell stories about this principle. Who, who have seen God do amazing things. I can remember in, uh, in Bible college, uh, uh, nobody in Bible college has any money. And um, uh, I was, uh, we, we were married students. And we didn't have two nickels rubbed together. We were eating ramen noodles and macaroni and cheese. And looking back on it, it was like some of the most fun time of our life. You know what I mean? In it, you're like, ah! And looking back, like, man, wouldn't it be fun to go back there again and eat ramen noodles and macaroni and cheese and and go to school? Um, (laughs) Kids complain about going to school. (laughs) Little kids complain about naps. I'd kill somebody for a nap, you know? Um, (laughs) And I, I remember us really wrestling with, giving at this one season in our life and being like, man, I just don't know. I just don't know if we can, if we can give at church this week. And then being like, no, nope, this is what we got to do. And you go and we give and we came home and there was two bags of groceries on the step. Right? And it was just sort of like, huh. I found out later that it was another married student couple who was in the exact same financial situation that we were, who gave us those groceries. That's incredible. It wasn't somebody who made a lot of money at our church and thought, well, I'll pity on these poor kids. (laughs) It was actually somebody in the exact same situation as us who could also could not afford to buy two extra bags of groceries and give them away, who gave them. And we're putting that money in the offering plate going, all right, Lord, let's see how this works. And God supplies in just the craziest of ways. Not even in a logical way. And this is just like this kind of a situation where it's, it's, it's easy to get hopped up on the sensationalism of the moment and be generous in the moment. But what does it mean for you to be faithfully present where your heart is? That's why this conversation is held within the context of covenant membership. If you're here at Parker Ford Church and if you are covenantally becoming a part of this body, and joining this covenant member relationship, then that means that you are investing your heart here. I I don't want to speak for the elders, but to covenantally embrace Parker Ford Church without covenantally also extending your heart toward the body is not actually covenantally embracing. This isn't a club. You're not signing on a dotted line. This is about 
where your heart is. And when you covenantally embrace a body of Christ like this, you are saying, this is where my heart is. What does that mean then in God's economy? According to the principle of heart. That's where your treasure is. That's where your treasure is. And so we give to the moment, absolutely. Hear God move, give generously. But we are also faithfully present where our heart is. And we give according to where our heart is. Because where our treasure is, there is our heart. Principle number three. What was it? Generosity. That's right. Look down at Second Corinthians. I'm sorry, go back to Second Corinthians chapter 9. When I was in high school and college, I worked for a guy in this area, uh, a construction worker, and um, uh, we did a lot of plaster and stucco and stuff. And this guy was a very generous man. My boss's name was Dave. Some of you might even know him. Um, uh, my boss's name was Dave. And uh, I worked for Dave. He was a wonderful boss, godly man, taught me so much about the Lord, and um, was just very, very generous. And um, I remember this, he, he, would, he would routinely, I was in Bible college and just trying to make ends meet, and he knew that, and he would just round my paycheck up. You know, if I made 620 bucks that, that week, he would round up to 700 just because I'm investing in this kid, you know. He would do junk like that all the time. And um, one of the things that he would ask me to do is I lived by the builder's supply on, uh, well, it's closed now on Route 100, but I would always drive by there to go past his place, or to get to his place in the morning. If he needed sand or materials, he would ask me to stop and put it in the back of my truck and then haul it to uh, the barn and then out to the job site. And, um, uh, and it, again, Dave was just very, very generous. And I, I can remember one day he asked me to do that. I hauled some sand for him, and um, we got to the job site, and we, we offloaded it and everything. At the end of the day, he uh, was in his truck ready to leave, and he called me over to him. And uh, he was like, Jay, come here. He goes, look, I really appreciate the fact that you haul stuff for me all the time. Um, he goes, this is to cover, uh, you know, gas and just the wear and tear on your truck. And he gives me a $100 bill. I said, Dave, you, you, you do not have to keep doing this. <laughs> like, I, you are so good to us. You, you, I, I, you don't need to, to give this to me. I am happy to stop on the way and haul sand or materials or whatever. You're a great boss. Uh, thank you for all of what you've done for us to this point. He was like, take this money. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, Dave, I don't, why don't you give it to somebody else who actually needs it today? We're okay. And he was like, the Lord told me to give you this money. You need to take this money. I said, Dave, I'm not going to take the money. He hit the clutch, pulled out, and threw the money out the window. <laughs> you know what I did? I picked up the money. I put gas in my truck. Generosity says you give as you've been given to. How generous has the Lord been with you? How generous has he been? That's how generous you are. Generosity says that you you give with the idea of both joy and goodness in mind. And those are the two components that are part of generosity is joy and goodness. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is all about giving. It's a great Bible study. You should do it on your own at some point. I'm just picking out a couple of verses here and there. But Paul brings it to this. Anytime that you see Paul say, this is the point, you should really pay attention. Verse 6, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. 
Each one must give as he has decided in his, what's the next word? Heart, principle of heart. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Right? Not reluctantly or under compulsion. And God, I'm sorry, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Joy. We don't give because we have to. We give because we get to. We give and we share finances and resources and time and talent and the stuff that God has given us. And we do that because the Lord tells us to and to do so cheerfully with joy in our hearts that God has given us the opportunity to invest in this way, to give in this way. God loves a cheerful giver. The principle of generosity is something that we see in all things. So whether it's we give in the moment or we are faithfully present, over all of that is this principle of generosity that we give in the way that we have been given to. God's covenants are what should guide our giving. We are an interdependent people. And these principles of covenant and of heart and of generosity align us with God's economy that keeps resources flowing across the body of Christ, both locally and globally, in a way that is life-giving. And in and through all of that is the opportunity and the invitation for deeper joy as we give beyond what we think we're able to give and connect to God's heart in that deep, intimate place. Four warnings for you in summation. Number one, number one, when you give in the stewardship of God's kingdom, you're investing. You're investing. It's God's stuff. However, investments by definition are contain risk. Investments by definition contain risk. Folks, you will not get all your questions answered beforehand as to whether or not what you are going to invest is going to be used the way that you think it should. But then that's not giving. That's not giving. See, if you give with an expectment on a return on that investment, then you're actually connecting yourself still to part of that. It is God who receives the return on your investment as he receives more glory and goodness that is channeled to him as you give and give and give. All right, Dave could have thrown that $100 bill out the window. I could have taken it and bought all kinds of things that would have destroyed my life with that money. His role was to give. His role was to give. So be wise. Live by the principles of God's kingdom. But understand that when God calls you to give, you give. You will not remove risk from the situation. But that risk is not something that you're called to manage. It's God's call for those things. And God will hold those things in place. Number two, wealth is not wrong. Wealth is not wrong. Wealth is not right. Wealth is wealth. Right? And so as we understand what it is that God has given, God does not love people more that have money. And God does not love people less who don't. Number three, poverty is not right. Poverty is not right. 
Being poor is not right, and being poor is not wrong. We can't make moral or ethical judgments of people based on how much money they have or don't have or what they choose to decide to do with that, which is principle number four, do not judge. Do not judge. One of the key principles that overarches Matthew 6 is the idea that these things are between you and the Lord. And God hits three things, prayer, fasting, and giving. And so the principles hold, right? The principles hold of covenant, of heart, and of generosity. However, what we actually give to is to people when it comes down to it. Oftentimes, more often than not, you're actually giving toward human need, toward human resource on some point. And so there, we can get into the old monastic concept that I have to live with nothing except, you know, burlap clothing and just eat bread and water all the time, and then God's going to be more pleased with me. Or the idea of, uh, of if I have a lot of stuff and if I make a lot of money, that means that God loves me because I've sown and then reaped bountifully. That's a misappropriation of that principle. That's a different sermon. Um, however, it is to say this. It is to say this. God gives and uses and blesses people with the exact same things. And I know that that's hard to hear, especially if you're a person who doesn't have a lot of money. However, you do have exactly what your brothers and sisters have who you would look at and say they do have a lot of money. First Peter chapter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need, and that includes every person in this room, no matter what's in your bank account right now. Everything we need for life and godliness according to the one who calls us by his own power and goodness. And how God brings about the situation of finances in our lives has a lot to do with what it means for us to just simply connect with him. This is about, Lord, who are we together in this situation? And a lot of us feel more loved when we have more coming in, and we feel less loved when we have not as much. And we question God when it's not there, and, you know, we can take him for granted when it is. And I've been there. I've stacked the bills in order of I have to pay these first. And then once the checkbook gets to here and there's still six left, well, okay, here we go. Let's see what happens. <laughs> right? I mean, we, we've been there. We've, we've gotten the hospital bills that, that knock you over the edge where it's just sort of like, what? How's this ever going to work? And God has never, ever, ever failed us. God's economy and his economic principles and the way that he chooses to lead us into these things are not valuations of his love to his children. God loves you. God sees you. God knows you. He understands your story. He understands where you're coming from. And he is not going to leave you. His economy and his principles hold we are interconnected. We give where our heart is, and we give generously. And he knows and sees and values and loves that. Remember this story. Jesus is in the synagogue. 
and the Pharisees are giving and they're standing up front and jingling their purses and everybody's seeing how much they give. And off on the side, this poor widow has two pennies, literally. And Jesus knows that that's all that she has. And she takes them and she gives them. And he says that she has given more than any of these others have given. He quantifies it. He quantifies it. Do you see that? Like he, he says, she, he gave more. He doesn't say she gave with a better attitude or a better heart. He doesn't say I love her more, but he does quantify. He does say she gave more with those two cents than that person that just gave five grand. How does that work? It happens like this. Jesus has 10,000 people who need to eat and somebody gives him a happy meal and he multiplies it and everybody eats. Because everybody there is covenantally connected by the need that we all need something to eat today. And Jesus can take that two pennies and he can multiply it to affect things and to work things in covenantal ways that you and I can never understand and will never see. But it matters. It matters because what she gave was her heart. What she gave was generously. It was everything. She gave covenantally. She was in the community when she gave. And Jesus says, that's more. That's more. The beauty, the beauty of God is his ability to do those kinds of things and to engage in those kinds of ways. And what a wonderful, magnificent God he is that he takes care of us. And he gives and gives and gives. He, he, that, like, can you think of a better action to describe what it is that God does toward his people? He gives and he gives and he gives and he gives and he keeps giving and he keeps giving. And even when we fail him, he keeps giving. And when we miss it and disappoint both him and ourselves, uh, we, he keeps giving. And when sin comes in and there's judgment and separation that comes, he keeps giving and he gives and he gives and he gives. And it's lavish and strong and full and beautiful. And his generosity knows no bounds. Our generosity stops short because we forget the fact that his generosity knows no bounds. Hear these words in closing. The Lord is your shepherd. You will not want for anything. The Lord is your shepherd. You will never be in want. The Lord is your shepherd. You lack nothing. The Lord is your shepherd. You have everything you need. We will not be in want. Thank you, God, for the realities that we stand in of your generosity. Thank you for the love that you give us in Christ. Are the greatest gift, the most lavish gift the cross, the tomb, the life of Jesus. And we together again open our hearts to receive and walk in those truths and the realities of what your economy are. God, keep us aligned with you that we might know you, be connected to you, be intimate with you, be engaging you and watching you do the most wonderful things in our lives. 
and the lives of the people that we give to that we never know and never see. But in faith, we step generously toward one another, toward you, knowing that where our treasure is, there is our heart, and wanting most of all, God, to glorify and honor you, to worship you. Thank you, Lord, for this body of Christ, for Parker Ford Church, for this covenantally linked group. And God, I pray that you would instill in each one the principles of your economy that release them, not limit, that release them to walk in the fullness of their design and goodness in you. Thank you for what you have given them, Lord, for the fullness of resources that exist here, financial, time, talent, abilities, all the different things that we know are resources from you. Lord, keep those things flowing to and through and in this body. We bless you, Lord. We thank you. We worship you. We love you. Thank you for your generosity to us. In Jesus' name, amen.